when it comes to 80s wrestling, one of the things we loved were the promos. And nobody did it better than Axe and Smash of Demolition. Well, now you can have them cut a promo personalized for you. Whether it's a birthday wish, celebrating an anniversary, marking a special occasion, or maybe giving your workout partner a kick-in-the-butt motivational talk, Axe and Smash can do it with their new Demogram. Live video messages from Axe and Smash. Here's a sample. Hey, this is Axe of Demolition. This is for you, Nina and Dan, on the birth of your twins. Congratulations. You got the future tag team champions of the world there. Enjoy it. Really enjoy it. Thanks a lot. Nina and Dan, hey, it's Smash of the Demolition. Just uh, wanting to congratulate you on twins. Twins! A tag team! Maybe another Axe and Smash. I love it. You take care. If you are interested in getting a personalized video message from Axe and Smash of Demolition, visit 80swrestlingcon.com and click on the Demogram link. Welcome back to another episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast, where each and every week we jump into the DeLorean and go back in time to the greatest era of professional wrestling, the 1980s. My name is Jay, and as always, I'm joined by the guy who lives, eats, and breathes 80 wrestling, Mr. Tommy Fierro. Uh, we got a big, big, big episode today. One of the greatest to ever do it is joining us live in the studio via Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, we're so happy to know that he's feeling better and doing better. As many of you know, news broke over the last few weeks that Bill Eady had COVID. And uh, he's feeling much, much better today. We're so happy. I know fans from all around the world have been praying for him. And uh, it's so good to have you on the show Bill, welcome to 80s Wrestling, the podcast. How are you feeling today? Oh, it's my pleasure. I feel 1,000% uh, better, and I I do want to thank the fans. I mean, I was uh, a recipient of so many nice uh, texts and phone calls and uh, communications from fans, emails, and I want to thank each and every one of them for all their their well wishes and their prayers and for my family and my wife and my grandson, you know, we all came down with it. My grandson contracted it when he went back, <laughs> excuse me, to um, college face-to-face -face in one of his labs. And then uh, he passed it on. He was gracious enough to give it to my wife and I, but <laughs> it's, an, it's a gift that we really didn't want. But it was, uh, <laughs> I still have a residue dry cough, but, uh, Got some medication and uh, about three days into the medication, felt uh, a thousand percent better. So I, I want to thank all of you and the fans and uh, everybody that uh, sent their wishes and their prayers and was graciously accepted. Thank God. And, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on today, Bill, is because the fans around the world were worried about you. So 
we want to get you on and, and let everyone hear your voice and let everyone know that you're doing much better. What, what, what symptoms did you have when you first got it? Was it, did you, did you know that were you sick or you got tested? How, how did, how did you find well, I had, a, I had aches and pains, which I normally have anyway, but these were excessive <laughs> and, uh, had the dry cough. I still have it. I've got some uh, cough medication, and I didn't take it this morning. But uh, I didn't have any loss of uh, taste or smell or anything like that. My wife had dizzy spells and aches and pains. My grandson had nasal congestion. So everybody was different. Took some Mucinex, and then we got some medication to a, a doctor that my daughter works with. And... Uh, Thank God I, we weren't allowed to take the, the vaccine because we tested positive. And I guess you can't take that for a period of time. But uh, um, it was a, it was a tough four or five days. Uh, I've had some good close friends that have been hospitalized and on ventilators. Had some workmates that were in the hospital and on ventilators. And unfortunately, my daughter has had some of her close friends, family members pass. So I guess we're very, very fortunate. You sure are. Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing that information with us, Bill. I'm just so happy that you're you're feeling better. I guess let's let's uh, let's kick things off with Jay. Jay, let's talk a little bit about the early stages of Bill's career. Circle. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to visit with us, and we're so glad that you're. You're on the road to recovery. Now, when you look at your career, you debuted in the 70s. And according to the internet, your last match was only a few short years ago. So you've had a career inside the ring that lasted over 40 years, which is absolutely unbelievable. You've been all over the world. You've entertained millions of people. You've got to experience things that most people will never experience. And they say, you know, in life, sometimes the days go slow, but the years certainly go fast. I would just love to know, as you look back on your career and on your life, has it sunk into you what you've contributed to the sport of wrestling and the impact you've had on people's lives? Uh, really, no. Like you said, the years go by so gone quickly. Uh, and I, I have to admit that the, the last four or five years that Mary and I were in a ring, we were physically in the ring, but we weren't at the performance level. And I, I want to thank the fans for accepting it. I think that they, they understood they weren't seeing the same performance level that we had done years ago. Uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I started in the business with the idea that I, I didn't want to get down the road five, six years and say, what if? Uh, if I didn't make it, at least I tried. I was fortunate enough to, to have a good, long, lengthy career. Uh, I got to go places that people only dream of going. And I often say that I got paid to go to those places that people pay to go to. Uh, got to travel the world. Got to Got to see things and experience things that I probably never would have done. Uh, if I'd have been just, uh, you know, the teacher coach that I started out, uh, completely went through the cycle and went from 
teacher coach back to teacher coach and still tutoring and teaching. So it's just like a complete 360. And in between, I did these things on television and in Europe and Japan and Canada and the Middle East. And uh, I've had a blessed career. I really have. And my wife and family have sacrificed so much uh, that I'll never be able to express thanks to them. But, you know, they helped me through this. They they uh, encouraged me to do what I wanted to do. I had good partners with uh, the last one being Barry. And we were successful. And uh, each of us, I think, uh, support each other. You know, we were together more than our we were with our wives and family. So we had to sacrifice that part too. Well, Tommy and I grew up as WWF kids. That's the product that we primarily watched. And you joined the World Wrestling Federation in the early 80s as the masked superstar where you faced some of the top level competitors at that time, including Bob Backlund, Hulk Hogan, Jimmy Snuka, Sergeant Slaughter. Can you talk a little bit about what that first run in the WWF was like for you as the masked superstar? Well, I had some success before in Georgia and the Mid-Atlantic area. And Andre was instrumental in bringing me into. I had no ambition to go in to New York. Uh, but Andre kept asking me, and <coughs> I uh, acquiesced and said, yes, I'll do it. Uh, but like you say, I mean, between Georgia, Mid-Atlantic, and New York territory, I guess you can say call territories. I don't know what the appropriate phrase is nowadays, but, you know, you had all the top talent in the world. Uh, so it was a, it was a natural progression. Uh, I, I, after I left uh, uh, New York at that time, went back to Japan because I was going back and forth uh, to Japan on a probably a 12 to 14 week a year basis. So, it, you know, it was just like a, a, a circle that I had completed. Uh, like you say, Backlund was there, Morocco, Snuka, uh, you know, Hogan was just coming in at that time. Uh, it was like a whirlwind. And that's when I think they were starting their nationwide trust. So I was part of that. But, uh, you know, when you're in the woods, you don't notice all the trees. You have to step back and say, geez, you know, I, I was there at that time. I was there in the, the Carolinas when it was hot. I was in Georgia when it was hot. So I was just fortunate. Sure, sure. <laughs> Bill, question for you. Now, you you were there in 84. Was there rumblings or talk of the first WrestleMania when you were still there? And if not, do you wish you were still there for the for the first WrestleMania, because you were you were one of the big names in the company before that, and I'm I'm sure you would have been a part of the first WrestleMania. W- was there talks when you were still there about that yet, or was that after you left? I, I, it probably was after I left. I don't recall hearing any rumblings or conversations about that. I'm sure that was in developmental stages, you know. But <clears throat> that was a, uh, you know, now we know that was a big gamble. And uh, you got to give Vince credit. I mean, he took the reins and 
and ran with it. He could have, he could have uh, submarined himself and lost everything. But fortunately for him and the guys, it took off. But uh, no, I don't remember hearing any of that. Now you, you you left in '84, but you would return in 1986 when they came up with the gimmick of the machines. Now you might you might be answer, you might have just answered my question earlier because obviously that that gimmick was made for Andre the Giant. Did did he bring you back to the WWF to be a part of that, or did they the WWF think of you knowing that you did a a mass gimmick previously for them? How did it all no, come we, back? The whole thing developed. We were on a uh, like I said before, I used to go over to Japan at least 12 weeks a year and sometimes 14. Two of those tours, they would vary from, uh, you know, a couple weeks to three weeks. They were individual, what they called Madison Square Garden individual tournament and Madison Square Garden tag team tournament. Well, just before the tag team, uh, Andre and I were scheduled to go over and we were scheduled to be tag team partners for that particular tour. They had a tag team called the uh, Machines. And uh, I think it was a strong machine and somebody else. They were Japanese wrestlers and had a Japanese manager working for Inoki's office. They had, just before the tournament, left Inoki and jumped for Baba. But when Andre and I landed we were asked to come to the office in Japan. And that's when they suggested, I think that the manager's name was Wakamatsu. He stayed and they suggested that Andre and I become the new machines. Of course, everybody knew it was superstar and Andre the giant. Well, Wakamatsu would challenge his old team. He has a stronger and bigger and more powerful team. Strong, uh, the, the giant machine and the super machine and we did the gimmick it was supposed to be for the, the duration of the, uh, the tournament I think Vince got wind of it and sent Gene Okerlund over and we did a we did a, uh, a series of interviews to bring the machines to New York it was only supposed to be short lived because Andre was scheduled to do the Princess Bride. So it was only going to, it was supposed to be a lark. Everybody was supposed to know who we were. And it just caught on. And then we had the the junkyard machine and the animal machine and the Hogan machine and Piper machine. And it, it became a fun event. So that's how it, that's how it perceived. Sure. And when you came, when you, now when you came back in 1986 now, the business, especially WWF's business, had completely involved. Now you're talking about tons and tons of merchandise. And while we'll get into that later with all the demolition merchandise, you, you did have, I remember there being a machine T-shirt and also a machine poster. Uh, what was it like coming back to the company in 1986? And now, you know, they're mainstream with merchandise and uh, cartoons. And, you know, they're pretty much blown up now to this huge company. What was... For you going back in, what differences do you see right away between being there in 1984 and then returning in 1986? Well, you know, like you said, they were pushing lots of merchandise, making lots of money on that. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, I really never wanted to go back in. I went back in as a favor to Andre 
I was happy in Japan, and I was happy in Georgia. I went in as a favor to Andre, and then it just grew after that. It was just a little while later in 1987 when you returned again, this time to be part of Demolition, the iconic tag team. Originally, you were partnered with Moondock Rex, who was later replaced by Barry, uh, known as Smash to us fans. That tag team was absolutely iconic from the way you guys looked, the face paint, the spikes, your theme song, the way you walked to the ring, the way you conducted your business inside the squared circle. What role did you have in the design and execution of Demolition? Well, Randy had approached me, Randy Colley had approached me with the idea, and he had he had some different things that he wanted to incorporate, like fur boots and uh, a, a, like a furry-type mask, uh, sort of like Quatch and things. So we tweaked it. We got rid of the fur boots. We got like the, uh, the more uh, motorcycle-type boots, got changed the outfits a little bit, added face paint instead of the fur mask, added the hockey mask and uh, uh, dressed up the vest a little bit. Uh, you know, we, we both worked on that. Uh, I give Randy credit because it was his, it was his brain child and he allowed me to tweak it a little bit. The thing that was the big disappointment for him was when we made the initial appearances in uh, Allentown and uh, Hershey, people recognized him right away. Uh, they didn't have any facial recognition for me because I had been in there before as the machines with the mask and, of course, Superstar with the mask. So there wasn't that recognition. It, it, it sort of was bad for Randy because when he came out, they knew him right away because he was established as one of the Moondogs. I mean, he was their champion for years and successful. So told him, I said, this is going to work. I told Vince this is going to work. Vince recognized it was going to work. And I volunteered to step aside because I knew I could go back to Japan and to Georgia. So uh, Vince said, no, I want you to try this. I want you to do it. And uh, that's when we located, uh, there was a bunch of suggestions to take individuals that were already there, but I said, it's not going to work. It's going to be the same thing as if it was Randy. So that's when we searched and I met with Barry and uh, Barry was uh, open at the time. And uh, we went with that because they had no recognition. And that's where we went. From a fan's perspective, you and Barry worked so well together as the team demolition. How was the chemistry between you two when Barry first came in? Did it come naturally, or is that something you two had to work on? Oh, yeah, it was right. It was instantaneous. I mean, uh, uh, but both of us realized that it was going to be successful, and Barry was uh, willing to uh, do whatever necessary, and so was I. I wanted it to be successful. Uh, we both sacrificed uh, lots of time and lots of effort. Uh, I don't think we ever had a disagreement on the road. Uh, we never had any harsh words. Uh, we both realized that this was going to make something for us. And, uh, you know, to, to go that, that many years together and not have any arguments, I think, says a lot. 
Now, did you have a relationship with Barry before that, or what made him the guy that was kind of specially picked for that spot? He was available because of circumstances that had developed in the mid-Atlantic area at the time. I knew Ivan, of course, and Ivan spoke highly of Barry, said he's a, a, a good young guy and he's willing to learn and he wants to learn. And we met, I believe, at a restaurant in Charlotte and had dinner and a few drinks, and uh, we hit it off right away. And I realized that, uh, you know, this is going to, this is going to take time and effort. And as soon as I saw him work and I talked to Ivan and uh, realized that Ivan had been tutoring him for a while, uh, I, I knew there was no question. He was, he was willing to give 150%. Well, no, no question. One of the greatest tag teams in the history of professional wrestling. And, and Bill, I want to ask what part or how big of a part did Mr. Fuji play in the whole presentation of Demolition? Because I, I think a big one. Well, he was. Fuji was uh, uh, would criticize, constructively criticize our matches. Because we told him, I said, you know, nobody knows everything. When you're involved in the heat of the event, you can't see what you need to eliminate or add or tweak. And as we were driving, Every evening after the matches, we'd get in the car, and on the way back to the hotel or to a restaurant, we'd critique the match. And, and Fuji would say, you need to change this. This was good. That was so-so. That was perfect. Uh, eliminate that. And then we'd do it. And then the next night would be the same thing. The next, we want to, you know, and it sounds like we're blowing our horn. But Barry and I, and I think if you, when you talk to Barry, you'll say that we wanted to have the best match on the card that night. Now, sometimes we did, sometimes we didn't, but that's what we aimed for. And if it meant changing this or eliminate that, because everybody's good at something. You know, you can, you're good at this move. You're not good at that move. You can improve this move. You, you can eliminate and, and completely improve a move by eliminating it completely. There's certain things that I can do, certain things that he can do. There's certain things we can't do. So why interject them? Absolutely. And I want to talk a little bit more about demolition, but before I forget, I want to ask you about the role you played in the movie, no holds barred. You actually played Jake bullet, one of the opponents for Hulk Hogan in that movie. First, how, how did it come about for you being uh, in that movie, and two, how how big of a deal was it for you to uh, be on the big screen back then? Well, it was supposed to be Barry. Initially, uh, I think Vince had approached Barry and, and suggested that he do it, which meant that I had a day off, which I was happy. Uh, and then a, a couple weeks later, uh, it changed, and Hogan ask if I would do it. And I said, well, if you clear it with Barry, that's no big deal. And Barry was gracious enough to say, yeah, which meant that Barry now had a day off and I didn't. (laughs) It was, it was pros and cons because (laughs) if you remember back then we were working seven days a week, months at a time without any days off. So a day off was, was cherished, but long story short, uh, 
I met Hogan at the airport here in uh, Atlanta. We went over what we were going to do. I think we had a 12 or 15 minute match that we worked on mentally. We went to the gym that night, got up the next day, got prepared, got our makeup and all that stuff on, went into the ring and the bell rang. We did our match. The, the director said, perfect. And Hogan said, hey, we're okay. And they said, well, what do we do now? And Hogan said, we're done. So they they wanted us to go over it and this and that and this and that. But we, we did one take, which we were used to doing one take with our interviews and one take with our matches and so forth. So we did do a couple still pictures and things like that. But about a half hour into it, we were done. They had the people scheduled there all day. So we left, and it was a one-take thing. Uh, as far as being on the screen, I told my parents about it. So when the movie came out, uh, they went to the theater to watch it. And it was, you know, as you remember, it was right at the beginning of the, the movie. Sure. Well, I think that my mom and dad were looking for acts. They watched the movie, and they watched the credits, and my mom said, heck, Bill wasn't even in it <laughs> until they watched the credits, and it said I was in it. My dad said, where was he? So they had to watch it a second time to realize that it was at the beginning of the movie. So <laughs> did, they, did, they buy, did they buy another ticket to watch it? Well, no. It's a small town they lived in. They have, and they just they just stayed in the movie theater and 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 rewatched the beginning and then after they saw the beginning they realized it was me but they didn't recognize me because they were looking for somebody else. That's great. Yeah. So let's go back to demolition in the early years. You guys were heels, but you were just so cool that you couldn't stay heels. That you eventually had to turn because the fans were getting behind you. From your own personal opinion, do you prefer working as a heel or do you prefer the babyface role? Well, I think that Barry and I have talked about this a number of times. I think that the office jumped the gun. Just because they like you doesn't mean that they, you know, that you have to be a good guy. You can be a type guy like we were and people respect you. And I think that the fans were cheering us because when the music started, they knew what they expect, and we produced what, what they wanted. Uh, I think that uh, we could have been heels our entire career and still been successful, but, you know, that's not what they wanted. And Sometimes you, you, they make decisions, and they make decisions, and they're not the correct decisions. You know, you kind of, as you were saying that, what I pictured in my mind was a little bit of the same thing they had in the Attitude Era with Stone Cold, where all of a sudden the villain is the one the crowd is getting behind. Because like you said, they knew when that music hit, they were going to see somebody come down to the ring and take care of business. I wonder if just in the 80s, the office wasn't prepared for the fans to get behind a team that they were trying to package as the bad guys. And maybe they didn't know what to do with the cheers that you guys were receiving at that time. Well, I agree. I mean, we could have had a lot longer 
it's under the bridge now, but we've talked about that many times. I just think that they they jumped again, and not only in our situation. If you look back at that time frame, they they flop guys back and forth. How many times did Flair turn good guy, bad guy? You know Hogan. They weren't happy with Hogan. They had to replace Hogan. They weren't happy with Warrior. They had to replace. They weren't happy with anybody. And, and instead of riding the horse till it drops, and and, and then change, they, they they make all these changes like they know best, but sometimes they don't know best. So as as the talent, do they would they ever come to you and say we're thinking about trying to turn you guys face? What do you guys think? Or do they just come and say here's the plan? This is what we're doing. We don't live in a democracy, there, sir. How much bigger do you get than Hogan? And they wanted to replace him. Then you get Warrior. Then they want to replace him. Then they get Savage. They want to replace him. Then they get uh, Stone Cold. They want to replace him. Then they get Rock. They want to replace him. When do you stop? There's there's fans out there that know more than most. They've seen matches. They've seen good talent been wasted. They've seen great talent been wasted. They've seen poor talent be pushed. Listen to the fans once in a while. Absolutely. Phil, I wanted to I also wanted to touch upon a, a huge part in my opinion, of the presentation of Demolition, and that was your theme song. I mean, to this day, I'll be in the shower, and I'll just just start singing it, man. That song was so catchy. It totally made that gimmick, in my opinion. How cool was it for you? I mean, obviously, you guys, you know, you, you knew how great that song was, but how cool was it just being these badasses walking down to the ring in front of, 20, 30,000 people with that song blasting throughout the arena. That that had to give you goosebumps. Well, when Jimmy Hart presented it to us, both of us said, that matches us. That's our gimmick. I mean, it's not, it's not tweaky. It's not cutesy. It's, I mean, it's, it's heavy metal and it fit our gimmick and our character. And, uh, you know, recently we've met all the people that was involved in it. And I'm telling you, my daughter at that time was in high school playing it here in Atlanta on, on the radio stations. Wow. And it was, it was popular in on mainstream radio. And even today, when we go to these events and uh, that music hits and it gives you a chill. I mean, it really it, does. It, it's something that uh, it stands out. Uh, and I often, every time I see Jimmy Harden signing or something, I thank him because uh, it, it set the stage for us. I mean, it set the stage before the when the music hit and before the curtains opened and we stepped out. People knew that something was going to happen. Now, Bill, let's talk a little bit about Crush <laughs> getting involved with uh, the demolition. How how did that all come about? That they added a third member. You were injured at the time, correct? No, I had a. Uh, like I said before, I went over to Japan about 30-some tours, anywhere from 10 weeks to 16 weeks. And during that time, consumed a lot of sushi, a lot of shellfish. And I had developed a allergic reaction to shellfish, shrimp, lobster, etc. 
I had a uh, dinner with my wife before going to a movie uh, of shrimp. Had an anaphylactic reaction. Had an out-of-body experience. Left my body. Visualized my my wife holding me. I'm I'm going up in in. Thank God I thought it was heaven, and uh, was in the hospital for a week. Uh, and during that period of time, Katie with Vince, and they brought in uh, Crush to replace me because they weren't sure if I was going to be able to continue. And was at Emory University, and the doctor there, the heart specialist, uh, gave me a uh, medication, and the first medication took, brought my uh, heart rate back to normal. So in the period of time, I had four weeks off. That's when they brought Crush in. And I was going to go into a uh, different position, eventually into uh, an agent's position. But that that changed over time, so that didn't materialize. But that's when they brought in Crush. And you and when you guys did the six-man tags, I, I, I think we remember one time it was Axe Smash and Crush against the Legion of Doom and the Ultimate Warrior. Now, they came in a few years later than I hoped they would have because I would have loved to have seen a WrestleMania match between Demolition and the Road Warriors. I, 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 I hate it back then when people would say, you know, demolitions, just, you know, road warrior wannabes, in my opinion, and I'm, I might be a little biased because I was a, a WWF fan growing up. I think that I, I actually like demolition better than the road warriors, no, taking nothing away from them. They, uh, they're absolute legends and did so much for tag team wrestling in the eighties, but I was always a demolition fan growing up. Do you think that was a missed opportunity when they did get to the WWF? doing well, a demolition uh, Legion of Doom match at WrestleMania? Definitely. But there again, and, I, and Barry and I have talked about this a number of times. We've done a number of interviews on it. There again, they pushed it. They could have waited. And, and instead of throwing it together, uh, there again, the powers that be think that they know everything there is to know. Rather than get together with all four of us and say, here's what we're planning on doing. What do you think? I think all four of us would have said, don't give it to them right away. You know, don't give them the dessert before you give them the main course. But that's not what they did. I've mentioned this, and it was funny because I mentioned it again last night. One of my friends was asking me, there's demolition fans. There's Legion of Doom or Road Warrior fans. And there's 300 million Chinese that don't give a damn about either team. <laughs> because they don't know them. Now there's NWA fans that, that that Road Warriors are number one. There's WWF fans that Demolition's number one, and vice versa. But I think that we were two different teams. We never tried to copy their work. They were a strong, very very physical team. We tried to work with everybody, big guys, small guys, and in between. We never copied. Other than the appearance of the paint, uh, the, the, the studs and things like that, we never set out to copy Mike and Joe. 
and I think when you talked to them years ago, they would say the same thing. They were happy for us. We were happy for them. We're, mo- we're all making money. So to say that we stole their gimmick, what's not stolen? In the, you don't steal something that's not successful. If you do a shitty dropkick, I'm not going to copy this shitty dropkick. That's an excellent point. Now, uh, Bill, you just mentioned that as a team, you guys would go up against powerhouse teams. You'd go against lightweight high flyers like the Rockers, somebody who was more of a technician wrestler like Bret Hart with the Hart Foundation. You guys would have such great matches with all sorts of different teams. When you look or approach tag team wrestling, how important is the chemistry of all four people in the ring? Um, do they all have to get along? How do you guys kind of work those different style matches all at such a high level? You know, you have to, you have there again, if you want to have the best match of the night, you have to work with the other team. Now we did have teams that for one reason or not, I'm not going to mention any names, but we had teams that we had shitty matches with. And we had teams that we couldn't have a shitty match with because they were so fantastic, you know, like the Hearts and, and the Bulldogs and you know, the, the Killer Beat. All these teams, we were fortunate because they were all top workers and they put them together. The thing, that, the thing that's important with a tag team that most people don't notice, the tag team has to work together as one. You can't put two individuals that you're putting on a shelf. Geez, I don't know what I'm going to do with this guy, and I don't know what I want to do with this guy. Let's just put them together. They have to be enmeshed. They have to become a team. If they're two individuals, they're not a team. They're working for A, and they're working for B. You have to be a team working for the team, working for the match. And if you're not, it stinks. Absolutely. Bill, we don't want to take up too much more of your time, but also real quickly, we wanted to mention any fans out there that would like to have a video message personalized by Demolition. They're teaming up with 80s Wrestling Con right now. And uh, we actually just opened up recently an Instagram page for them. And uh, Bill's actually uh, very active on there. We're going to start posting some more pictures on there this week so Bill can interact with everyone uh, the the uh, the name on the Instagram page is Search and Destroy You. Search and Destroy You. And uh, Bill answers a lot of the fans on there. Bill, uh, being from old the old school and 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 finally uh, getting involved with social media, how have you enjoyed your your time on uh, Instagram so far, talking to the fans? Well, it, it be be honest with you, it's lots of fun. I'm, I'm still a neophyte at it. I, I, I think I screw up more than I want to, but it's it's nice. We, we were never able until the recent signings and things like that to communicate and interact with the fans, and it's nice, and it's, it's very humbling to know that what we did is remembered and touched by so many fans, and I just appreciate it. I know Barry does too, uh, and Tommy's been instrumental in, in helping us with this. And uh, I just encourage the the demograms are, are, are fun. We've done some recently, and they're, they're just lots of fun. 
and uh, in, in our case, you get two for one because you get one from me and one from Barry because we're in two different parts of the country. So I just encourage people to to check it out, and uh, uh, it it just this social media. You know, I'm at the other end of my life, and it's new. My grandson, of course, knows more about it. My daughter runs with it, so they're helping me out, but it's lots of fun. Absolutely. Anyone out there that's interested in learning more about getting a demogram, you can visit our website, 80swrestlingcon.com. Again, that's 80swrestlingcon.com. We're going to be working on some more projects with uh, Demolition as well in the year 2021. Uh, I, I told Bill I'm, I'm in the process of opening a store in New Jersey within the next month or so. So I've been really busy with that the last couple of months. But as soon as I settle in, I'm going to get with them and we're going to work on some projects and share some some cool and exciting stuff. But, Bill, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I, I, I thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And I, the, the main reason was to just let all your fans out there know that you, you are, in fact, feeling better because uh, through running your – you know, Instagram page, a lot of people reached out to me to ask how you were doing as well. So I thought it was important to get you on here today and just, you know, let, let all the fans know you're doing better. Appreciate it, my friend. And I appreciate all the, like I said, all the prayers, the well wishes from all the fans and my, and my friends. Uh, it's been very humbling and, and my wife and I both appreciate uh, all the concern uh, this COVID mess is. Uh, I hope that I hope that it could clear it up. Uh, too many people are suffering, and uh, and I hope that the government finds out how to handle this. Uh, I'm not throwing stones at anybody, but I'm not sure that anybody knows exactly uh, what to do or how to handle it. But hopefully that we don't lose any thousands of people that we've lost so far. So. I just trust that everybody stays safe. And I got a little pissed off coming to work this morning. I, I stopped to the station to get some coffee. And first thing I noticed, and there's four or five people with no mask. And, I'm, and I didn't say it, but I'm saying, what the hell is wrong with you people? Uh, at least put that first uh, phase of uh, protection on. But, you know, you can't tell people what to do. So, Sure. I actually, I actually got my first shot about an hour before we taped this, Bill. Great. Great. Yeah. Well, we wish we wish you and your wife and family all the best. We're so happy that you're feeling better, Bill, and everyone out there. Uh, again, head over to eightieswrestlingcon.com now to find out more about how you can get a personalized demogram for you. Bill, thank you so much, and we look forward to talking to you soon. All right, my friends. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Bill Edie, one of the greatest of all times, demolition. Jay, that was a great interview, huh? That was a fantastic uh, guest, uh, Superstar. What a special guest. You can't even call it special. Special doesn't do it justice. Uh, one of the all-time great 80s wrestling superstars. And what a nice, genuine guy. Like, just to hear him tell stories and, and to interact on a personal level. Absolutely. And uh, like I said, growing up, he was one of my all-time favorites. Uh, demolition, uh, like I mentioned earlier, when when that theme music hit, and I, I'm sure I'm not alone when I'm saying this, and if you're listening to this podcast, the, uh, chances are you are a big 80s wrestling fan. Um, 
when that song hit, man, I, I know you get chill. I, I still get chills uh, when I had them for a virtual signing back in November, uh, leading up to the leading up to the signing. I was, you know, listening to that that theme song for like the the week leading up to it, and uh, you know, it just. I know exactly what you mean, Tommy. That theme song fits them perfectly. Like I said, one of the most iconic theme songs matches the team. You can't get much better than a demolition theme. Yeah. So uh, when I had them up here for the virtual signing back in November, uh, obviously everyone knows, you know, Cameo is a, is, a, is a big thing right now. And a lot of wrestling personalities are on there. But however, you know, it's not just wrestling. It's, you know, all sports figures, celebrities, everything. So all walks of life that have some notoriety on there. So my idea was, and something I'm working on right now is to do something. I don't want to give too much away, but uh, do something uh, where it's just wrestling as far as doing uh, messages and videos and whatnot. So I approached them when they were up here uh, about doing that since they weren't associated or doing anything with Cameo. And, uh, you know, I explained to them about, you know, the following we had on social media and, and how fans around the world would be able to interact with them. And it was one thing led to another. And I said, Hey, you know, Instagram, that's another big thing. So uh, they asked me to run their Instagram page for them, which is awesome. Uh, growing up as a kid, one of my favorite tag teams of all time. And uh, here I am in the year 2021, I'm running their Instagram page for them. And now I'm doing uh, demolition uh, video messages with them. And I'm working on a couple other projects with them as we speak right now as well. So uh, it's just so cool, Jay, you know, you know, being a, a fan growing up as a kid, you know, they're one of your favorite tag teams of all time. And, you know, now, now you're working with them, doing different projects with them. Just it's really neat, you know. For, for you to be on that end of it where you're working on a professional level with the guys you grew up watching is absolutely unbelievable. I bet you have lots of uh, pinch me moments where you can't believe you actually get to do what you do. And then on the other end, for guys like me, the everyday fan, we've never had this type of access to our, our superheroes before. And so now you can get a personalized video message wishing you happy birthday or congratulating you on a job promotion or whatever it is. Back in the 80s, we had no way of reaching out and connecting with Demolition. Now they have an Instagram page. You can follow them. You can reach out to them. They get back to you. You can you can get a demogram. Like, what a time to be alive, my man. <laughs> You're so right, though, about not having an opportunity to interact with wrestlers back then. Obviously, there was no – in the 80s, there was nothing like this. Um, I remember the first time I met a wrestling personality – uh, was when I was a little kid, there was WWF wrestling at William Patterson College in Wayne, New Jersey, which is the town I currently live in. And uh, every couple months, WWF would come to William Patterson College and they would do you know, the B-shows. But uh, it was after this B-show uh, at the William Patterson College, me and my mom went, went across the street to a pizzeria called Brother Bruno's and uh, got something to eat after the show. And uh, Dick Worley was in there uh, eating and I got to uh, get an autograph with him and uh, take a picture with him. And I, I just 
it was so cool. You know, that was my first time ever meeting someone. And, you know, even though it was Dick Rowley, to me, it was the president of the United States. I'm a little kid and meeting a wrestler. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, how things evolved so much now, you know, you can get video messages sent to you and interact with them on social media. It's just really cool. Really, really cool. Anyone out there, again, that might be interested in getting a personalized demolition video, you can head over to 80swrestlingcon.com. And uh, also on there, you can see all the upcoming virtual signings we have scheduled. We just had one this past Monday with IRS Mike Rotunda, which was really, really good. And I know you were watching, right, Jay? I was tuned in from start to finish. What a nice guy. Like, he took time to to tell stories, to sign everyone's autographs, to give them shout-outs, to hold up their merchandise. From a fan's perspective, watching it, it was a tremendous show, a great fun night to watch. How how was he behind the scenes? How is Mr. IRS up close and personal? Super cool. Super down to earth, really great guy. Um, I asked him before we, we went live, uh, I mean, obviously at this point in 2021, you know, there's no kayfabe and you know, there's no hiding stuff. Obviously everyone knows that he's the father of Bray Wyatt and also Bo Dallas. I had mentioned to him, is it okay? Do you want us to stay away from, you know, the, the host or the pre-show people talking about Bray Wyatt? And he was fine with it. He didn't care. Uh, he was cool with it. But, yeah, he was he was super down to earth, very, very nice, very friendly. Uh, he was a, a pleasure to have. He, he really, really was. And, uh, again, we had to, uh, as we mentioned on last week's episode, Jay, uh, jumping Jay, as Mike Rotunda called you on the on the uh, show this past Monday, and which is now your name here on uh, 80s Wrestling Podcast, Jumpin' Jay. We gave him a shout-out. Uh, Jay actually runs the website for us. And, again, I had to text Jay uh, to, to shut the website off, early, the website store off early as a lot of orders were coming in for Mike Rotunda. And uh, any upcoming signings, I, I encourage you to, to get your orders in, in advance because this is – a few shows in a row now where we had to close the store down early. And I know some people wanted to order photos after the uh, website was, uh, website store for him was shut down. So I encourage you all to get your orders in, in advance. Our next one is Monday, February 15th with Ron Simmons, uh, February 22nd. We have the powers of pain, the warlord and the barbarian March 8th is going to be Wendy Richter. March 22nd, we are going to be doing uh, both Cowboy Bob Orton and making his first ever appearance uh, doing a wrestling autograph signing is former WWF announcer Craig DeGeorge. And uh, then on March 28th, Sunday, March 28th, we're going to be doing Virtual Mania with Jake the Snake Roberts, Haku, Skinner, and the Orient Express. That's the only time we're ever do an event on a Sunday. Uh, we're actually going to be branding our Monday night uh, virtual signings and we're going to be adding more as well april 26th we have stan hansen we uh booked two in may so far one with ken patera one with nikita koloff june there's two already with uh the rock and roll express and the head shrinkers which we just announced last night samu and fatu known as rikishi now and uh we're going to be adding more under the pro wrestling virtual signings.com banner which we also spoke about last week our first one's going to be on Monday, April 19th, Extreme Virtual Signing. 
featuring Shane Douglas, Two Cold Scorpio, Jerry Lynn, Mikey Whipwreck, and Simon Diamond. And we're working on some more dates as we speak. And I'm sure that uh, I'm going to drive Jay crazy having to keep updating these websites and all these upcoming signings. But he's a good sport. He's a good man. He's a good friend of mine. And I just want to let you know on air, Jay. I really appreciate you, brother. Well, I'm glad to be along for the ride because just listening to all the stuff you just listed, like that's a heck of a lineup. And you get to see these from the comfort of your own home. Like you and I were talking off there. You can have Monday Night Raw on the television set and you can be watching legends from your childhood sign personalized autographs to you on your electronic device, on your lap, your iPhone, your iPad. You get the best of both worlds. Monday nights were made for wrestling. And with these signings, you're bringing the must-see back to Monday nights, Tommy. So thank you for letting me be a part of that. Thanks, man. Yep, Monday Night Virtual. Uh, we're branding it Monday Night Virtual going forward. And like I said, we're going to be adding more dates as well. They're all going to be under the same umbrella, uh, 80s Wrestling Con and Pro Wrestling Virtual signings. Uh, like I mentioned the, the, the first week, um, I do not plan on ending the virtual signings anytime soon, even when things one day get back to somewhat normal and you can go back out to live signings and conventions. For me, uh, I fell in love with this idea and I'm going to continue doing it more uh, in, in the future. So for me, I, I didn't want to run out of guests if I was just doing 80s guys. And I did get a lot of inquiries about doing 90s and 2000 guys and more current guys. So it's all going to be a, a, a branch of their same umbrella. Eventually, everything's going to be you know, under the, the Wrestling Collector brand, which uh, the website's open right now. It's thewrestlingcollector.com. All the same thing, man. It's just a different brand under the umbrella, and uh, I don't know, man. It's it's hard for me to <laughs> it's hard for me to keep up with everything I got going on right now, man. Between '80s Wrestling Con, now ProWrestlingVirtualSignings.com, um, the WrestlingCollector.com, the podcast we're doing now. I guess there's no stopping now, Jay. We're, I'm in it for the long haul, man. Listen, I'm taking you. I'm taking you with me, bro. You're not. I'm taking you with me for the ride. I greatly appreciate it, man, because who would have thought 80s wrestling would be going this strong in the year 2021, but it is. And so we appreciate that you're one of the driving forces to keep uh, our passion for the sport alive. Hey, and by the way, Jay, I just want to let you know before we end today's episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast, that a couple of our listeners sent me a message and uh, they let me know that, in fact, it did sound like Bushwhacker Luke and not Paul Bearer last week when you said that I sounded like Paul Bearer. I'm going to do it again. Maybe your ears were clogged last week. Maybe you were doing some research uh, on Google while I was talking. You just maybe weren't paying 100% attention to what I was saying. So I just want to get your attention right now. I want to try it one more time. And you tell me if it's Bushwhacker Luke or if it's Paul Bearer. Here we go. Whoa, yay. <laughs> All right, Tyler, do one, one thing for me as a favor. Yes. What would Bushwhacker Luke sound like if he was saying, uh, oh, yes, my undertaker? Can you just give me that in Luke's, in Luke's voice? <laughs> uh, yeah, I could. Um... Oh, yes. <laughs> no, you're right. You got me. You got me. Maybe I, I do I think, sound like Paul Bearer. It's let not me, as let me, try, let me try it again. 
Whoa, yeah, I can't do it. You're right. <laughs> it's not it's not as high pitched as a Paul Bear, but it's got the same shakiness to the voice. That's what that's why I was confused. You might be you right. Know, if you if might I could have had right. if I could have had the visual of you, you know, putting your arms up and down and you licking the head of the guy next to you, I probably would have got the bushwhacker imitation. <laughs> that was more of a physical impression, bushwhackers are. You gotta do the arm movement. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man, that was a great episode today with Bill. Uh, he had a lot of uh, great things to talk about, a lot of great things to say. Again, Demolition, one of the greatest tag teams uh, in the history of professional wrestling. And uh, it, was, it was a true honor to have him on the show today. Um, what do you think, Jay? Maybe we should have another guest next week. What do you, what do you, what do you think? Anytime we have a chance to hear the voice of one of our uh, wrestling superstars from our past and ask them questions and bring their stories to the ears of the listeners. I think it's a big win. Uh, you got a bunch of connections in the world of wrestling. I don't know uh, how you are able to get who you get, but if you can score another guest, I think it's all the better for the show. Yeah, I think we'll have another guest this week. I don't know who yet, but I'll, I'll, I'll do some digging this week for you. I think we should get the Bushwhackers on and you can do your impression for them. <laughs> <laughs> you got me, man. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bring it up on the show no more. I, I really thought you you were uh, you weren't listening to me, and you weren't you weren't giving me the proper credit for my Bushwhacker Luke impression last week. But I think you put me on the spot today, man. When you asked me to do it, uh, saying something about the Undertaker, I, I have to admit it did sound a little bit like Paul Bearer. So I, I do apologize for putting you on the spot and second-guessing your uh, opinion of my voice. And I'm just not going to bring it up anymore. I, I think that you uh, – I think you win this one, Jay. Listen, two things. First of all, your Iron Sheik impression was spot on, and I told you that. Like, that's spot on. The second thing is maybe Paul Bear was a Bushwhacker fan, and that's where he got his idea for the voice. <laughs> we don't you know. You never know. You never know. Jay, anything you want to sign off with before we end this uh, this episode? Great show. It was awesome to sit down with, with Bill. What a tremendous talent, but more importantly, what an awesome human being. What a great person to take time out of his day and visit with us. So thank you, Tommy, for setting that up. Absolutely, man. And until next week, everyone have a great weekend, and we'll catch you next week right here on 80s Wrestling Podcast.